Welcome to the Brave Little Podcast. Coming from California, here's Aaron Alvarado and David Stauffer. Welcome to the Brave Little Podcast. It is a good night, a good M night, Shyamalan. Here to join me for the Shyamalan is my good friend from Los Angeles, Mr. Aaron Alvarado. Aaron. Call me... Call me Mr. Unbreakable because I am oh. visiting. Uh, what's some other M. Night Shyamalan movies? Quick. Uh, the visit. Sixth Sense. <laughs> I have a Sixth Sense for visiting you. <laughs> After Earth? After <laughs> Earth, yes, exactly. What's going on, buddy? Oh, man. I'm back to back nights on the pod, which is always a, a pleasure. I, I'm excited to talk. I'm excited to talk glass. I'm excited to talk M. Night Shyamalan. Uh, I mean, the, the, the episode title or i should say the facebook live feed is titled uh is m night Shyamalan a good filmmaker we're going to pose that question i'm going to run you through his filmography with images of each film and i'm going to ask you is this a good movie or is it a bad movie and then we will tally up how many are good and how many are bad and we will make a decision if whether or not m night Shyamalan is a good filmmaker because yeah well, the best part is I've never seen most of the movies, so I'm just making a judgment based off of the still image. Well, yes. So. I mean, look, if Academy voters can vote for movies to receive the most important mo- uh, award in the industry without having seen movies, which they do, they vote on they vote on movies they've never seen, then we can do the same here on M. Night Shyamalan, and I can't wait. Uh, <laughs> so we're, gonna, we're actually going to do that first. Then I want to talk Glass. The movie Glass needs to be talked about. Uh, not just because it's the number one movie in America for the second week in a row, but because it has a third act that needs to be talked about. And those of you listening that have seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about. Once we get there, I will provide a spoiler warning because it's going to be all spoils. There's no way for me to vent about it uh, or to praise it. Who who knows what my take is, uh, but there's no way for me I to can talk. guess. <laughs> there's I can no guess way for me to talk about is. it without spoiling uh, all the many, many twists that, of that film. So, uh, we'll talk glass, and then we're gonna we're gonna talk the big year uh, for movies that take place in Oakland, California. 2018 was a landmark year for Oakland cinema, and uh, we'll talk about that in the context of the film Blind Spotting, which you and I both saw recently, and both agree it would have made our top ten or top five of the of the year had we seen it before we we did our pod and came up with our lists. Uh, and so I'm really excited to talk about that one. I certainly am uh, more excited to talk about that. Than I am glass because I I thought blind spotting was much better. But <laughs> let's let's just jump right into this. M Night Shyamalan, wonderful photo of him right here. Uh, I I can't believe that it's still a debate or that it's a debate again. I should say that of whether or not he's a good filmmaker. Um, I mean, famously, M Night Shyamalan came out of the gate very strong in his career with uh, the Sixth Sense and and uh, his some of his early films, and we'll get into those in just a sec, and then. I think it's fair to say things really came off the rails at some point. It's debatable at what point that was. Uh, and then now the full the narrative is fully uh, M. Night Shyamalan comeback. He is back. People are willing to fund his movies again. They're making money. His last three movies have been buco, done buco uh, bucks at the box office. And so people are saying he's back. Now, there's a key distinction between being back because you're making money and being back because you're making good films again. <laughs> okay. Uh, that's what I want to discuss here. In 2019, but, though, does that matter? No. It no. Doesn't. It should. We're, we're, we do this podcast because we believe it matters. But uh, right, exactly. Let's 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 rifle through this filmography. 
Uh, now, technically, if you go to IMDb, he's, he, he has made two feature films before The Sixth Sense. But I think the definition of feature film is uh, applied very loosely to the first couple of movies, not widely released films, more like student films that were full, like feature I length. <clears throat> one was a direct video, too, if I recall. Oh, was it? Okay. So, so yeah. we're, really, his coming out party was the Sixth Sense. Okay. This was his arrival in Hollywood. This is the, the hot new director. I don't know if you remember <laughs> this, but there were articles uh, talking about him as the next Spielberg. Um, yes, absolutely. So, so it's 1999. Yes. It was a great year for movies. Yep. And uh, he set the world on fire with The Sixth Sense. Yes. I mean, that was one of those movies that was a full-on movement. People were talking absolutely. about how you had to stick around to the end. One of the best twists of all time is what you heard. Yes. Um, I mean, just every every praise imaginable was heaped on this brand new filmmaker. So, yeah, the sky was the limit for him. Uh, the movie ended up making $293 million That's, wow. at the box office. Um, amazing. Amazing. What was the budget? Do you know the budget? Um, I don't know the budget, actually. Let me see if it's listed. Um, $40 million production budget, which is in 99. That's, that's, that's big. High. I'm surprised. Yeah. Actually. I thought it was much lower than that. Well, you had, uh, you had um, Bruce Willis, which is a high ticket item, right? And who oh, yeah. else was hot in that? Well, Bruce, Mills, Bruce Willis made a ton of money because he took a, a, a cut of the gross. Brilliant. Well, Brilliant because move. it's an unproven. I mean, this guy hadn't made anything of any, you know, it's amazing that M. Night Shyamalan was able to convince Bruce Willis, who I don't know if he was at the peak of his powers, but he it wasn't like he had, you know, he wasn't like full burnout yet. You know, I mean, it was like, no. And so that's, a, I mean, a huge name. Uh, I mean, I, I will tell you the age I was at here. This really cemented Bruce Willis as my favorite actor at that time in my life. I mean, he was my favorite at that, yeah, however old I was at that it was, time. It was Bruce Willis number one, uh, Haley Joel Osment number two? Yeah. Is that what? Okay. Honestly, this was the first memory I had of being truly upset at the Academy Awards for snubbing someone because Haley Joel Osment got nominated for Best Supporting Actor, lost to Michael Caine, who did the Cider House Rules, and I just, I, I just thought these people were monsters, like actual monsters for, for, uh-huh. for doing that. And, and I wasn't wrong. So <laughs> you you wanted to drink bleach like the little girl in the uh, in the movie? <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, so, do you do you think this is a good movie? Do you like The Sixth Sense? I love The Sixth Sense. Yeah. I was uh, someone who came in um, late to the show. I didn't I didn't watch it when it was in the movie theaters. I waited until it came out on video, mm-hmm. and I was blown away. Yeah. Um, I even I think I knew. Oh no, actually I didn't know the twist. That's right. Yeah. Uh, no one spoiled it for me, so I was lucky enough to experience it when it happened, and um, I was totally blown away with it. And I, um, I think it's still a good movie to this day. It's, I do it's too. still watchable. I do too. Even and though you really, know there's a twist. To me, I, I just think so much of the craft that went into making this. There was a, you could tell that there's real care in, in te- like making sure that the story mm-hmm. was told correctly. And it's truly the care of an artist that's that wants to make a statement and show that he is capable of making something remarkable. And and he did. It was like it was before someone gets money, before someone becomes famous, before they're filled in a room full of uh, yes men like George Lucas in the Phantom Menace bonus videos, uh, the making of videos. When you realize like, oh, you know, you, well, like, I think for for a first time big bigger budget filmmaker, he's hearing no more than he is hearing yes. So he has to figure out a way to navigate all those no's as opposed to just having every door open with a yes, which is um, really. <laughs> I mean, I, we see from his later work what happens once he gets surrounded by yes men. Oh yes, so yeah, we're not going to talk about every movie as long as we talk about Sixth Sense here. But 
I think we leave it's with a this special one, one because of how special it is. It's it's yeah. it's great. It holds up. His second film is Unbreakable. Uh, Bruce Willis, Sam Jackson. I uh, this is my favorite M Night Shyamalan film. Okay, I feel like probably the majority will say Sixth Sense, but there's definitely a camp of people that uh, prefer Unbreakable. If for me, it just slightly more than Sixth Sense. Uh, for me, it was unique. For me, it was again Bruce Willis. For me, he was my favorite actor still. At the, uh, just the you know two years later when this came out, uh, but also the fact that this was a comic book movie before we had the deluge of comic book movies as we know them today, because nothing about this feels like a comic book movie. And in a lot of ways, it's not in terms of like the design of the film, but it really kind of subverted expectations of what a what I meant to have a superhero movie, a comic book. Like, and I just thought it was so unique. In some yeah. ways, dark, certainly slow. Uh, the reveal was done in a very controversial way. Uh, it was certainly a twist, not in this quite the same type of impactful twist as The Sixth Sense, but it was very abrupt. And I know that for some people that uh, really didn't like that, I loved it. Um, I, I still, when I see this movie, I just, I, I really think it's, uh, it's his best work. So, did you yeah, like no, it? I liked Unbreakable. It's good. It was pretty good. Um, also, we have to take into account that uh, this movie came out in, in the year 2000 when no one wanted to make uh, comic book movies. They were seen as failures and, yes. and seen as a, basically a joke. Yes. Um, so the way that he made the movie is probably affected by that. Um, oh, yeah. If he makes Unbreakable now um, in, oh, in the climate that we're in, yeah. it's a different movie. Uh, it's 100%. It is a different movie. And it's not as good. <laughs> It's so. yeah. It's uh, Bruce Willis not wearing a poncho. He'd be wearing a cape. I mean, <laughs> yeah, exactly. He gets his cape in this. Yeah. Um, if he, if he made Unbreakable in 2018 or 19. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I mean, you got to give him credit for being a front runner and showing that uh, it's possible to make an interesting comic book movie without having you know um, like these characters be clowns up on the screen. I think I think the X Men movie came out a little bit after this, if I recall. Was it like 2001 yeah, X Men would have been that same year. Uh, okay. And then the first Spider-Man movie came out in. Yeah, so this was like uh, this was on that part of that first wave yep. of uh, comic book movies. Same year as X-Men. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. So um, this one, not nearly the financial success of Six Sense, but still, uh, it made money uh, nonetheless. His third film, I would say, was his, is really his first popcorn cinema flick. Uh, hugely successful from a financial standpoint. Uh, it got middling reviews. But just a, a smash with uh, audiences. People loved it. Mel Gibson, Joaquin Phoenix. Um, Big, exactly. I, biggest cast, for yeah. sure. Biggest stars <laughs> he's ever worked with. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. The careers of Joaquin Phoenix and Mel Gibson post-Signs have gone in, uh, in completely different directions from each other. Um, right. <laughs> I'd say their trajectories <laughs> weren't the same. Um, oh, and then you got the, one of the Colkin boys in there. Uh is that I don't remember which one that is. If it's Kieran, that's uh, that's Rory. Kieran. I think. It's Kieran. Okay, so yeah. he had he's yeah. Well, he's back with Succession. Who? So um, and that I recognize that little girl too. I don't know who that is, but oh yeah, she looks very familiar. Yeah. Uh, so is Signs a good movie? Hmm, it's pretty good. I think um, I think I've softened on it. When I first saw it, I, I hated it. Oh wow. Um, but I think like uh, probably the last time I watched it was a few years ago, and. And I think that it's uh, it's aged better than I anticipated, um, and I think that you you really have um, Mel Gibson and Joaquin Phoenix to thank for that because they carry the entire movie. They carry it without them, the movie is just there's nothing there. So yeah, they absolutely um, carry it. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm going to give him a pass on this one. I'm going to say yes, it's a mm-hmm. good movie because I, I certainly enjoyed watching with my friends, even though it was laughable when they uh, make the choice to show the aliens finally towards the end of the film. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. it was when they shouldn't have been doing CGI aliens. And even then, like, what was so what was so great about it? I mean, this is, we learned this through the Jaws. Don't show the shark until the end and, and only show it a little bit, right? Like, it's it's the mystery mm-hmm. is is don't show. Uh, and they kind of did that, right? Through kind through of, the they mo- kind of did that through the news clips and um, yeah. The difference yeah. is the shark looked good, and this one was like, I mean, it looked like an alien in sweatpants. You know, it was just like yeah, it's it, pretty bad. It, it's pretty. It, it's it's it was, it was it was real bad. And, and so this if, was, yeah, if you're M Night Shyamalan, do you go back and recut it? With with better CGI for the alien? No, you go back and cut uh, cut out his cameo in it because this was the first <laughs> of the movies where he decided he wanted more than just a cameo. He wanted to play a pivotal role. He plays the character that um, got in the was it got in the car accident that killed Mel Gibson's mm-hmm, wife, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and the character that tells him how to kill the aliens mm-hmm. just as he's pulling away in his suburban. Uh, <laughs> by the way, they don't like water. Bye. It's like, oh, yeah, exactly. The, the director popped in to tell him, you know, the, how this movie is going to work out. Like, it was the stupidest cameo. Um, so, uh, remind me what his cameo in Unbreakable is. If um, he plays, um, let's see, he's the doctor in Sixth Sense. And in Unbreakable, yeah. he plays, um, is it a security? Or no, one of the... Oh, I'm trying to remember. I thought he was a security guard at the thing, but that's what David Dunn, uh, the Bruce Willis character, is. Yeah, I think he. I don't think he works with them. No, he doesn't. I feel like he's one of the guys he's he touches when he figures out that he, when he touches a human being and he sees. Maybe yeah. Wow, mm, that's a good question. I'm forgetting, but it was the key here is that it was subtle enough that it didn't. It wasn't like exactly crucial to the plot. Yeah, even, is, well, even in uh, in in Sixth Sense, he does have a, a decent sized role. He's the doctor that. A, uh, Right, but it's but it's not so. like you know, it's not the equivalent of what he did in Signs. If in the Sixth Sense, it would have been. Oh, by the way, uh, Bruce Willis is dead. He's a, he's he's dead. <laughs> <laughs> he's, uh, here's the here's the key. To this. Uh, he's all, he's not alive. Um, anyway, his his cameos. You think you would have learned from this, but no, actually, his cameos get progressively worse. So anyway, if we're keeping uh, track here, he's three for three. Sixth Sense, Unbreakable, and then Signs. Um, what we didn't realize with signs, though, is that the future was not going to be bright. And the next one was The Village. I'll never forget seeing The Village. I believe I worked at the movie theater at the time or I remember because I saw it for free, but I, was, I uh, wasn't allowed to see it. Like when you work at a movie theater, as you know, uh, you can't go on like a Friday night of a you know opening night of a film because those are either going to be sold out or, you know, they don't want to you to take up a seat with your free ticket you know they want to sell seats you usually have to wait well i snuck into this one uh because i was so excited to see it huge m night Shyamalan film you know or a fan he's the next spielberg and Mm -hmm. i will say it's not his fault that the village was marketed as a horror film um it's not and it definitely was and it definitely was but i went in there with an expectation and uh and it was so um complete like it was so different from the way they marketed it that it was really upsetting at the time. Not to mention his cameo towards the end is also another upsetting cameo. <laughs> um, but like the well, reveal the, was the, clear what it was very early on. And then yeah. when they finally build up to doing it, it's like, this is something we kind of knew this whole time. Like yeah. the master of twists. Ugh. The the big twist in this one is we all thought we were going to get a good movie, but it that's, actually sucked. That's the twist. <laughs> it really is the twist. Now what's interesting, I will say about, I've had more than one person tell me, 
that the village is worth revisiting. They're, like, I think there's a movement that's like, actually, you know, it's like a contrarian viewpoint. Like, I know everyone said the village was garbage, but if you revisit it, knowing that it's not a horror film and look at it through a different lens, it's actually a really good movie. It's that narrative is false. It's not true. I rewatched this movie. It is bad. It is not a good movie. So this is the first bad one, truly bad one. And so now total he, miss. He is, he's three for four. So, but it did make 114 million at the box. Oh yeah, office. of course. He's still writing. So. Signs was huge, right? Did you have the mm-hmm. signs block? Box signs was 220, 227 million. 227. That's yeah. Is that domestic or worldwide? That's that's worldwide. worldwide. Okay. He's missed the worldwide. So now that he's made a lot of money, even with the village being, um, <laughs> even, even with the village uh, being the, uh, the the critical and uh, I guess with people didn't like it, it still made money. This is gave him the power to make a movie that no one asked for, no one wanted, and he described it as a, a bedtime story for his children, and that's Lady in the Water. Uh, this is a film that came out while I was serving a two-year mission when I wasn't allowed to watch movies, and I came back home and, and watched this, and I couldn't even get past the first 20 minutes of it. I, I was so <laughs> repulsed by what I was watching. I was, what is this? You wanted to go back. You're like, no, send, me back. send me back. <laughs> yes. I, I'd rather knock doors. <laughs> Um, they'd have to sit through one more minute of this. Um, it, uh, this is so bad. Um, and, uh, it, I really thought I was like, I thought he had maybe lost it. I mean, I just, I, I it was, it was bad. So we're at five. Minutes. I've never even attempted to watch don't, it. Have don't. you finished it since then? No, 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 okay. no, 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 no. Because I didn't realize that like this was famously lambasted when I was watching. I didn't know what the, you know, the public or I didn't, I just didn't hear anyone's opinion on it. So, I, of course, I Google it. And I'm like, oh, okay. So, this is just garbage beginning to end. So, he's now three for five. So, for the good movies. Then we get The Happening. Did you see it? I haven't seen The Happening. It's Mark Wahlberg. I have not. The only, yeah. the only benefit of this film is that it's so bad. And Mark Wahlberg is so checked out and so un- and uninterested that it provides uh, the internet with great gifts and great memes because of how silly, stupid this movie is. It's so silly. Uh, so... Now he is. Uh, is Mark Wahlberg doing Boston accent? Three for doing like <laughs> no Philly. <laughs> oh yeah, oh, man. Yeah, this is yeah. This was, I do love a Philly accent, but I, yeah. I don't, well, James I'm McAvoy, not by Mark. the way, he actually just speaking of Philly accents, he does a, a Philly accent in. Uh, I guess speaking of M Night Shyamalan and Philly accent, Philly accent. Yeah, he, yeah. Uh, you should probably mention that M Night is uh, he's from Philadelphia. He's from Philadelphia. A lot most of, movies of his are movies are take place there. Uh, but James McAvoy hosted SNL in promotion for Glass. And he does this skit where he has a Philly accent, and it's it's way better certainly than uh, than Mark Wahlberg's Philly accent in this movie or the movie where he plays the Philadelphia Eagle uh, football player. I, uh, uh, invincible. Yeah, I was gonna say Unbreakable, <laughs> but yeah, Invincible. <laughs> so he's three for six now. Yeah, three for six. Okay. And then we have The Last Airbender. This is the first film he has directed that he did not write. Okay, This is the first full-on studio film of which he had very little creative control. So I give him – he gets some leeway there knowing that this you know, this is a 100% uh, paycheck film. And I get it. I, I, you, know, you got to put food on the table. Um, the same time, he made something that uh, – and I'm not a fan of uh, Avatar and last, the Last Airbender series or whatever – uh, and I admit I couldn't. Uh, similar with Lady in the Water, I couldn't want, finish this film, but it was ju- it's just laughably bad. And so e- even though I know it's Do, not his script, was it 
How was it received by the fan base? Terribly. I mean, it's it's okay. Like I made, we did an, an ad at Lucid Chart uh, that was directed towards uh, you know software engineers and developers, uh, and many of which in that demographic you know are fans of the show Avatar. Uh, but it's kind of a famous joke you know among those fans about how just how awful this film is. And in one of these ads, we we poke fun at uh, people who like The Last Airbender, and it's just. That joke is always lands uh, in a room full of developers. I mean, it's just, it's easy. It's low hanging fruit, but that's, that's literally the value I've gotten out of this movie is that I, I include it as a, like just a punchline in, in a commercial for B2B software. <laughs> Enterprise software. <laughs> uh, we, sh- we should mention that the village made 114 million worldwide. The village and then this, huge. this is his number four movie at 131 million yeah, worldwide. But a huge budget. He, oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Do we know the budget? Let's yeah, see. It's, it's pretty big. Uh, 150 oh, is the budget. That's not good at all. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's minus awesome. 19 million on that. On so that one. we're three for seven. Yeah. Then we get to what I would consider rock bottom, and that is Will Smith. Uh, at the time, was just exiting his phase of being a most bankable movie star, and had this idea that really should have just stayed at home, been like a home movie idea that he made with Jaden and maybe edited an iMovie and just only showed to themselves, you know, just mm-hmm. you know, keep it, keep it as a fun little hobbyist project. But no, he decided to bankroll it and he's credited. Will Smith is with the story idea and uh, wrote the script of them. Mac Shyamalan starred his son, which there's gotta be nepotism laws, but apparently not, not in Hollywood, not in Hollywood or the it's white encouraged. house. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so, uh, this is another one that's an enormous budget. It's over. I think it's also around 150. I mean, it's uh, somewhere in that ballpark. 130. Oh gosh, uh, this is a. This is it's. This isn't laughably bad like some of the other movies we just talked about. It's sad bad, like you're watching it and you just feel bad for everyone involved because of just it's an unmitigated train wreck. It's <laughs> okay, but how was Jaden? Oh, oh Jaden's not Jaden's. Yeah, he's always good. Jane's He's special, great. isn't he? Well, yeah. It's why his career, since this is where the moment when he really became a star um, in their Crowded Kid <laughs> remake. <laughs> so this is when people stopped funding. People stopped giving him money. We, I, really, this was a question that people are getting asked. Is He made three good movies. Now he's three for eight. But at what point is Hollywood going to stop giving this man money? You know. Oh, yeah. He's ice cold right now. Now, this now, is, uh... now he's ice cold. So we get to a film that he had to pay entirely out of pocket for. This is, um, uh, it was uh, produced by him. He took out, I, I think, a second mortgage on his home for three or $5 million is what this cost. He made it in secret. There was no press releases. No one knew he was making it. There was NDAs for all the actors involved. Uh, practically a shoestring budget. Um, showed it to a bunch of distributors. All of them passed. He had to basically beg Blumhouse, uh, Jason Blum, who runs Blumhouse Pictures, to be like, please, like, put, you know, distrib- uh, distribute this film with me. And so he convinced him. And uh, given that it was only $5 million, it made $98 million worldwide. And uh, financially, this was his comeback. The question is, is artistically, was this his comeback? And this is the point where it gets interesting with M. Night because I've heard people argue that this is a good movie. Uh, they're wrong, it's a bad movie. But it's not Last Airbender after uh, after Earth, The Happening, bad. You know, it's it's certainly better than several of his last. But that doesn't mean it's good. You know, the bar is so low. Uh, it's like I'm not going to applaud the pole vaulter who just you know vaulted a two foot pole. Be, you know, like 
you know, just because his previous attempts, you know, were <laughs> just piss poor attempts. But uh, that, I'm going to stick with that analogy, by the way. Um, <laughs> Perfect. I think it's genius. Yeah. But it's not a good movie, but it gave him the confidence, uh, misplaced confidence to make. So split. you've seen, but you've seen um, yeah. The Visit. Yeah, I saw it. Uh, someone I trusted it's, told me it was good. And I, well, someone I formerly trusted. <laughs> <laughs> was it M. Night himself? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Do, M. Knight, do we know what M stands for? Uh, no. No. Okay. I, uh, I've always assumed it was just a letter. Mm, um, I like that. I mean, because what, cause usually people that don't go by their first name and they want to go by their middle will just shed the first. You don't stick the... But, so, you know, I guess I, there's some precedent. I have... I have some extreme doubts that his middle name is actually Knight. So, oh uh, yeah, you're right. It's not actually. It's uh, <laughs> I shouldn't even try to say it. His first name is Manoj. Middle name okay. Neliatu. Manoj okay. Neliatu Shyamalan. I think and he should have went with that. Knight Shyamalan. How are, if I as a kid, if I knew that I'd be allowed to make my name whatever I wanted, I wouldn't be going by David Matthew Stoffer. Um, yeah, I'd be like David Danger Stoffer. Like I would have at a, at a well, young Well, I age, mean. First of all, you'd go by David. David. To reference, uh, yes. to preface or, or, or to our mention our upcoming yeah, we movie. Sh- we should probably get it. to. David. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you could keep the David. Or just the David. How about that? The David. Yeah. Famous work of art. Um, so anyway, <laughs> the visit gives him the money to be able to make Split, which he was able to get funding for. Split was an enormous financial success. What, what what was the box office on this one? So Split made one hundred thirty eight million dollars. Cost nine million to make. Oh, wow, that's a great return. Yeah, uh, this is on Rotten Tomatoes. This is the second best reviewed film of his. Is the it's certified well, and, fresh at seventy seven percent. And when this came out, no one had any expectations for it. No. It was a joke. Yeah. The the trailer was just a oh, thought. Of, well, here we go. Yeah. Another M Night disaster. Yep, that's right. And then it comes out, and it opens to um, forty million. Had a forty million dollar opening. Yeah, opening weekend. And it's a, a forty million opening. That's blows Huge. my mind. I, I I'll never forget watching this movie. I was um, I mean I'm on the record. I did not like this movie. Uh, I I didn't mind. I liked McAvoy's performance in terms of like he certainly commits to it. Uh, and there's no doubt that this movie is a cut above all of the previous, I think, previous five crappy movies. There's no doubt. Yeah. It's the most interesting movie he's made since probably Signs, right? Yes. No doubt about it. Yes. 100% agree. Uh, it's definitely better than The Village. Uh, but it's that's not the same thing as a good movie. I should, that's like, I should do the clapping emoji version. That's not the same thing <laughs> as making a good movie. You know, just because it's better than the crap that you made doesn't mean it's as good as The Sixth Sense. Uh, but sure the, you get that end scene, the credits or right before the credit sequence uh, at the end of split when it's like surprise, this was a sequel to unbreakable all along, which the pit in my stomach, I, I can't even describe to you. Not only was I, uh, I just watched a movie I didn't like, but then they tied in my favorite of all of his movies, trying to tell me that this right. was a part of the same universe. And I was, I just felt sick, uh, because it's like no way to, what a way to tarnish the legacy of a, of a great film by just bringing it in and saying, these are one in the same, these are part of the same, you know? Yeah. And then, yeah, yeah. uh, shortly after that, it was announced that the, the third film in the unbreakable universe, third and final, he insists, uh, is coming out and that's glass. Uh, and that's, that's what I'm going to talk about as well. So how many good three out so of three, I will say three and a half. 
Give him three and a half. The half for split? For half for split. Okay. It's so, split down the middle. I will say, <laughs> so Rotten Tomatoes, uh, just just so you have an idea of what the critics think of all his films. Number one is The Sixth Sense at 85%. Mm-hmm. Number two is Split with 77. Number three is Signs with 73. Then Unbreakable with 69. Uh, then nice. uh, he, I guess he was the screenwriter on Stuart Little. That'll be next. <laughs> 67. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. But uh, 66 for The Visit, but although it wasn't certified because not enough reviews came in. I love that the critics didn't even bother to watch it. Uh, no. And then it goes to The Village, 44%. Uh, glass, which is at thirty six percent, and I'm about to go ham on glass. But funny enough, I think it's a it's better than thirty six. In fact, I, it might be my fourth uh, favorite f- uh, film of his, maybe third. Um, and it's uh, which is funny because it's not good. Um, but that's thirty six percent rotten. Lady in the Water is twenty five percent rotten. The Happening is eighteen percent rotten. After Earth is eleven percent rotten. And the last Airbender is a whopping five percent rotten, <laughs> single percentage points, five percent. So I mean that is yeah, that's all over the spectrum right wow. there. So it's interesting because this is a hiccup in the comeback. Uh, glasses because Split was well reviewed, huge box office. Glass has been eviscerated by the critics, but the audiences are are uh, audience. Do we, do you see an audience score on there? Well, by the any audience, chance? yeah, you know that's a good. I should click on that because I would be curious what the audience thinks of this film because they're walking out right after this, this third act that is so bonkers that I can't imagine people loved it. But on Rotten Tomatoes, it's seventy seven percent. A a better tracking uh, for audience kind of checking the pulses cinema score. Mm-hmm. Um. Although they just do kind of the A through F rankings. Uh, right. Glass is on cinema score a B, which that's is pretty good. Yeah. I mean, that uh, that's better than it should be considering what happens in this film. So uh, the, we've, we've already gone on long enough with M. Night Shyamalan. So I'll try to make this as brief as possible. Glass is a movie where um, judging by the title, you would expect a lot of Samuel Jackson. He doesn't speak for the first hour and maybe 10 minutes of this film. <laughs> um, he doesn't say one word because you're, you're led to believe that this genius who's incarcerated at a mental hospital uh, is so um, uh, hopped up on their sedatives that he's just kind of in this mindless state. Uh, and you know that he's not. You know, you're just waiting for the shoe to drop. You're waiting for him to do the ta-da. And it comes, but it comes way later. Uh, you get uh, Bruce Willis, who has a few scenes in the beginning. But then in the second and third act, he has a total of three lines, I think. Oh, my it's, God. It's incredible to see how sidelined the who should be the co-lead with, uh, you know, with Sam Jackson. These two guys were sidelined. And James McAvoy gets so much screen time. It, I mean, I guess his screen time is commensurate with, the, commensurate with the personalities that he has to represent. He gets, like, mm-hmm. equal screen time for each one. And so it's just mostly him. It really feels like a split sequel. Uh, rather than a follow-up to Unbreakable. And uh, I, I will say, though, it wasn't all bad when I was wa- – like, when it first started, I was like, okay, um, it's piquing my interest. Like, what's I, I needed to pick up the pace. I needed to, you know, do a little bit more. But, like, it's not actively bad. I'm, I'm holding out hope. And it's it's building up, it's building up, it's building up. And then finally you enter this third act. And I'm going to start to get into spoilers here. So if you haven't seen Glass or if you don't want it spoiled, you might want to stop listening. Uh, but uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot of twists that, that happened. <laughs> so in, in, in the film, you, you have Sarah Paulson's character who is playing this, um, 
psychologist or psychiatrist, I don't remember, but a doctor that's trying to help treat Bruce Willis and Sam Jackson and uh, James McAvoy by telling them that um, they're deranged for thinking they're superheroes, that it's a mental uh, illness to oh, think that you're so she's gaslighting them basically 100 okay so she's trying to convince them almost had bruce at one point i mean mm-hmm. he was like maybe the poncho doesn't give me powers um and um and so she's trying to convince them right uh mm-hmm. sam jackson of course is uh will not be convinced and uh his superpower by the way is brittle bones which is really a rough draw <laughs> um <laughs> But finally, we get this third act, and it, 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 M. Night Shyamalan does this deliberate thing that I think is so shocking to me because the third act is such a mess, and it's so bad, but it's not because of the incompetence necessarily of M. Night Shyamalan. Um, it's a weirdly a choice. He, he makes, like, the, the entire third act, he chooses to subvert expectations in a way that he had to know wouldn't be satisfactory to the audience. Uh, and it's so weird how he commits to it. And what he does is... There's basically a master plan that Sam Jackson rolls out to, you know, uh, he explains this final battle that's going to happen. Like everything's, he, he know he's convinced he's a, he's the evil nemesis, of course. This is from Unbreakable, you know. He's convinced that Bruce Willis is the hero uh, and that he's teamed up with another villain in James McAvoy. And there's this brand new skyscraper that's opening in downtown Philly. And they're, uh, for the grand opening, they're going to the top of that skyscraper and they're going to have this epic battle. And he talks about it. He shows the images and diagrams and he talks about the news is going to see, the whole world's going to see the superheroes are real and they're going to see the last battle, just like a comic book. So on their way to this, su- this, this skyscraper, as they come out of the mental hospital, the, uh, they end up getting stopped in the parking lot and the rest of the entire third act takes place in that parking lot. They never make it to the skyscraper. There's no, no. Final, there's no final battle. And uh, Sarah Paulson isn't a doctor after all. She's actually a representative of this ancient, ancient old secret cabal of people whose responsibility is to protect the, all of the world's citizens from the people who have superpowers. Um, and they all have tattoos of clovers on the inside of their wrists. So when the SWAT team shows up, the, you know, the local SWAT team, uh, they're all... They're, they're all uh, uh, really suspiciously have very short their the long sleeves are a little short uh they did uh they must have put the dryer on high because these these these, uh, <laughs> these sleeves are a little up. but you can see you can see the little clover markets you know very clear they're all part of the same team here um and uh yeah they, they, they basically <laughs> cold bruce willis's head into a puddle well there's just it had rained you know there's some water uh, that mm-hmm, came out mm-hmm. of a water tank and you know, they just basically hold his head in a puddle because water is his weakness and he dies. So Bruce Willis dies and uh, and Sam Jackson, uh, they kill Sam Jackson and James McAvoy. All three of them die. Uh, yep. And um, <laughs> <laughs> in the parking lot on the way to the final battle by wow. Sarah Paulson and the SWAT. It's 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 unbelievable. Um, but don't worry. The I mean, twists, that's a choice. It's a choice. It's definitely a choice. But the twists aren't over because Sam Jackson knew that there was a secret group that was trying to discredit. Their, Why wouldn't you know, he, he knew? So he had set up all of these GoPro cameras in the mental hospital, recorded all these conversations, got all this footage of uh, James McAvoy and Bruce Willis doing these miraculous things with their power. Like, there's some things they do, like strength and the beast and all this stuff, and he has it on video. And basically just uploads it to a Dropbox for Bruce Willis's son to download and upload to to, uh, to YouTube, so the world can see once and for all that uh, superheroes are real. 
because heaven knows you can't f- you can't fake those effects in After Effects. <laughs> Never been done before. You believe so, everything that's on YouTube. So the son uploads to YouTube, and then he goes with uh, Samuel Jackson's mother, and the the uh, who you know is the representative of, of Sam Jackson's character, and the girl that James McAvoy kidnapped and split. I guess she's going to be the representative. They all go together to the train station because he just uploaded it. And he's like, we're going to watch this. You're going to see this go viral. And the world's going to learn. They're going to see that superheroes are real. And then like people are coming out. Your commuter's coming off the train. And everyone's phones start buzzing. Beep, beep, beep. Everyone has notifications that a new video is uploaded to YouTube. <laughs> that shows you just these feats of superhuman strength. And, and everyone's like, oh, whoa. You know, and and, because that's what I do when I upload something, by the way, like something Uh I want to go viral. I go to the local train station to watch virality (laughs) spread. (laughs) And then then my my favorite thing is we get this end scene where it cuts away to to Sarah Paulson holding a meeting with her secret cabal. Uh, It's, by the way, the scene starts in this public restaurant and it's just these groups of people eating. And it just seems like a group of people that are all eating at different tables that don't know each other. And this couple stands up and they exit the restaurant. And as soon as they exit, uh, uh, one of the other couples, you know, stands up and then they close the curtains to the room. And then the room gets quiet and they all turn to Sarah Paulson. And they're all a part of this secret cabal who, for whatever reason, they have meetings in public restaurants and they have to wait for the people that aren't a part of the group to leave in order to begin their meetings. And it just seems like an ineffective way to hold secretive meetings, <laughs> like, like, like holding them in public places where you have to wait for public. Like, I, like basically, there should be an SNL bit where like they're about to start their meeting, but then a family comes in and they're like, "Oh, we need a table for five. And they're like, "Oh, we gotta <laughs> wait." You know. Anyway, it's just it was just this. It's just ridiculous. It's so ridiculous. Um, and yeah, it just the movie comes just really comes off. Uh, it's it's not unlike. The a microcosm for M. Night Shyamalan's career. It starts promising. This could be going somewhere good, and then it really comes off the rails. So it's not good. That's amazing. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You've totally sold me on the movie. I got to see it now. So, so. well, that's that's as much as I'm going to talk about the glass. I'm done. <laughs> I'm done. And so to answer the question of this uh, this pod, this, the title of this Facebook Live video, is M. Night Shyamalan a good filmmaker? No, he is not. <laughs> He was, he, uh, he has made, uh, good movies, a few of them, but at this point, the ratio is not in his favor in a major way. He is not the next Spielberg. He's nowhere even near Spielberg. He's nowhere near, I mean, a, a de- any decent director. Uh, he's just not good at making movies. Uh, he's just not, uh, but we know that uh, he's not going to stop anytime soon. Nope. 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 <clears throat> nope. The market has spoken. They want more and they're going to get a lot more. Uh, and so, yeah. Uh, looking forward to that, of course. So let's let's move forward to blind spotting and this movement of cinema in Oakland. And I I, w- I want to first hear we're we're gonna get to your take on on uh, blind spotting in general, but I want to share an anecdote about what made me think of this initially and what actually got me to see blind spotting. Um, if you recall, during our top ten pod, uh, I don't think it was in I don't know if it was in Shannon's top ten, but she had mentioned the movie. Asking mm-hmm. if you had seen it, and, and neither you or I had seen it. And she said that it's really good and that we'd probably like it. Um, I'd planned on eventually getting around to it. But just a few weeks ago, uh, the same night that my, uh, my Reddit post made it to the number one post on the front page of Reddit. Uh, for those of you who want to hear that story, listen to the previous pod. But uh, I was in downtown Oakland uh, at a work party for my wife, Lindsay. And 
inside this event center right in downtown Oakland, there's this huge uh, graffiti art of Black Panther. And I walk over to the event center area, and there's like a bar, and uh, the, the woman who's the bartender, she sees me observing the art, like admiring it, and she goes, it, what, what a year for Oakland in movies, isn't it? Like, what an incredible year. And I was like, yeah, Black Panther, sorry to bother you. And then she goes, and blind spotting. And I was like, oh, yeah, blind spotting. I need, I need to watch. And so we had this conversation just about how Oakland's always been this, you know, uh, this shunned place in the Bay Area in a way. They've, never, they've always been this, I don't want to say redheaded stepchild of the Bay Area, but certainly the, um, the place that's talked about. As it was a, the afterthought, for sure. No doubt about it. I mean, there's a lot of jokes about uh, the difference between San Francisco and Oakland. Uh, and Oakland famously, I mean, they're losing the Golden State Warriors to San Francisco. They uh, are losing their Raiders to Las Vegas. Inexplicably, uh, the A's tried to go to San Jose. Thankfully, that's not happening, and they're going to be staying in Oakland. It seems like they're going to be building a new ballpark there. But it's just a city that's had their fair share of, uh, you know, just hard times and struggles. But Oakland has entered a stage of, you know, major gentrification. Uh, I was – look, I I grew up going to Oakland all the time for A's baseball games. Oakland is a very important city to me. It's the city I got married in. Uh, you know, Lindsay and I had to get our, you know, marriage certificate for the city of Oakland or whatever, or license, I mean. Um, and we, uh, we got married in Oakland. We had our luncheon in Oakland. And I'm very familiar with the area. I hadn't been back to downtown in several years, though. Going back for this event, I was stunned. Uh, it looks like a different city. It's way, like, it's certainly nicer. It's clear what the tech industry and... Uh, the uh, the influence it's finally had on Oakland, which it had resisted for so long, and uh, what I didn't realize is that Blind Spotting is a movie that hits on all of that exact thing. And so, me having this experience in downtown Oakland, being reminded that I need to see this movie, I finally went and saw it. Uh, but you had seen it even before that, and you were telling me, "Hey, this is this is a movie you got to see." So I want to hear your take on uh what were your overall thoughts on blind spotting the, just the movie as a whole sure yeah so you, you mentioned some of the movies that came out this year based in oakland and i think this is uh this is the one that uses oakland the most um just overall like you feel like this is an oakland movie all those movies definitely take place and they have characteristics and <clears throat> they're important parts of the story but this movie is like the soul the essence of of the movie is um wrapped around uh, oakland and the gentrification and what these native um, Oaklanders, is it Oaklanders, Oaklandites? You know what's funny is, I, I, that's a good question. I'm yeah, a- so these people that are from Oakland, what they're experiencing, specifically people that are from the working class or or uh, the working poor. Well, actually, I don't think they're working poor. I think they're just working class. Yes. Um, the one, one, one of the characters, his mom is like a university professor, I think. Um, but yeah, they're they're just working class guys, and they they've they've lived in the city of Oakland their entire life, and they've seen it change. And what's happening now is um, it's just a lot of money is coming in, and they're getting displaced, and um, it feels foreign to them. So this is so part of the movie is how they're how they're trying to um, either adapt or resist that. Um, um, the change and I think um, they, they they experience both in this movie and these characters um, 
they go through a lot and I think it's really interesting how they change and how they don't change. Mm. Um, when they, when they decide to put their feet down and say, this is no more, we can't take anymore. Um, so it's really part of that is why I I like the movie so much. It, it, it's tackling the gentrification issue head on. Um, and that's something that, um, is, is kind of been brushed under the rug and, and the way that it's framed in the media is it's a positive thing because it's bringing in money and it's uh, bringing in, in commerce and increasing, yeah. exactly home values are increasing, but um, there's a, an underside to that that is completely underrepresented and, and it's a complicated issue. And of course, no one wants to live in an area that is riddled with crime, but pe- people would like to actually own the place that they live in or not be displaced altogether. So, um, and this, those are themes that are tackled in this movie specifically. And uh, that's something that I really appreciated about it. And I wasn't really expecting that. Based off of the trailer, I didn't think that they were necessarily, that was going to be as big as an issue as it is. And so when the movie plays out, I was uh, pleasantly surprised for sure. Um, basically, the movie is carried by the two main characters. Uh, I don't know. I can't, I can't remember the names the, at the moment. The, but uh, The characters or the actors? The characters and the actors. I don't remember. Because I, I David Diggs and Rafael Casal. Yeah, and the reason is I don't. I've never seen them before. Yeah. So, and that's that's one of the other things I really appreciated about it. It it, it feels fresh. It feels like these are two new faces that we've the never seen. It's worth noting. Uh, they, yeah. They so they're they're they co-wrote it. Um, they're acting in they're basically Oakland. every scene. They're from Oakland. It's authentic to them. This is their story, and um, the the story is pretty unique. Um, the way that it starts out is uh, one of the characters is on parole. It's basically leading up to probation, um, right? Is that the is that, well, he was paroled. He's on probation, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and he has like two days left, and he has to stay out of trouble for those two days. The very first scene is them getting in a car, and uh, the driver of that car is just pulling out guns left and right. And it, it's so the very first scene is just like absurdist humor, because uh, it's really the way that they approach it is like this is very funny. And and that's one of the other themes of the movie is just like overall it's it's a comedy. So I was going to um, ask you that. What what would you categorize this genre as? Though it, it, you would say it, comedy. it's a buddy. I would say it's a buddy comedy. Yeah. But there's also some heavy themes in it, and I think those are the best movies when you can mix, yeah. when you can mix and take from both. Do you and, think they um, mixed it effectively? The the comedy and the drama they did. What they didn't. Uh, what I had a problem with is the third element that they mixed in, mm-hmm. which was the musical element. Yeah. Um, the, the, one of the main characters, uh, starred on in the musical Hamilton Mm -hmm. and, uh, the musical Hamilton is famous for having, you know, these long verses that are wrapped out. This poetic, lyrical, this prose that's done in this rap style. Yes. It's a rap style or like a spoken word almost. And, um, he, he brings that to this movie. And, um, if I can critique one thing about this movie, it's those sequences Mm -hmm. just pull you right out. Um, some, yeah. some worse than others, but there, there are just some jarring moments where it's just like, man, I understand like, this is your voice and this is your art, but boy, does it really pull me as the viewer? Did it really pull me out of the, uh, out of the moment? So, yeah. And, and, you know, I don't want to belabor that point too much just because there's uh, yeah, as you, you've alluded to, there's a lot more good in this than there is bad. Absolutely agree. But I think Absolutely just agree. what was so interesting about that. And there's just maybe three or four sequences of this. You know, uh, it, it, it really is jarring because it kind of comes out of nowhere where they start going into this rap and it becomes almost like this a musical scene. Uh, what's what was I was fine with it uh, with the first few times just because um, everything else was so good. 
even though I, I was watching, I'm like, this isn't totally working with everything else, but like, I can forgive it. Cause it's not, it's not, these scenes aren't consequential to the plot until, until it, until there was one that, you know, and we, we can talk into that. Uh, we can talk more about that in, in, in a sec, but, um, but more than just the fact that they did it, it's, it's interesting because like the idea of rap incorporating rap in a film all about Oakland and, and the culture, like is a good idea. And the thing is, is, what they incorporate is the Hamilton influenced style of spoke, which is not the, like the, and I, I don't want to pretend to be any expert of Oakland rap and the history of Oakland rap, but I think it's fair to say that it's not entirely represented of what would be traditionally rap Oakland rap or how rap is uh, the history of rap in Oakland and the, the type uh, and style, because this is done so much like Hamilton that it feels a little bit like oh this that's just like this is like New York Broadway Hamilton style. Broadway is what Broadway yeah. is the exact feeling yeah. that I it's got. It's like that's why Oakland rap scenes. isn't this Broadway style. I I, I love that the idea of including it because I think that's a really interesting wrinkle or thing to add to because everything else about totally. this movie is so it feels so um just like culture packed and like cure in a way that's just like you can really feel the culture of what's going. I think they were so effective with visuals and dialogue. But those were so glaringly out of place. It was just bizarre to me. Uh, I mean, yeah. Again, I understand the motivation, and you know, if that's if that's the, obviously that's what they wanted to do, and then yeah. then that's what they pulled off. So, yeah. you know, as an artist, uh, I, I can appreciate that for what they attempted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but just me as a viewer, it it, uh, it it didn't win me over, and I think. Um, Man, I, I just wish that uh, there was an alternate version where I didn't have to sit through the, uh, the yeah. rapping of the s- I, I would agree. several of those rapping I w- sequences. I would agree. Uh, uh, but yeah. There, yeah. Was there a person that did win you over, though? I mean, is is there an... I, yeah, we'll, we'll go with person. Who, who wins this movie for you? Like, who is the... Um, so the buddy, the um, the Cuban white yeah, Rafael white Casal. Cuban yeah. Rafael Casal. Yeah. What's do you know what his name is in the movie? I should probably should have looked this up, but oh. um, I I can't remember the characters' names. Yeah, um, the characters' names are. Um, uh, I've got it up right here. Uh, Colin and Miles. Co- Colin so, is David, and yes. Yeah. So Miles is the. Um, is the white for better, mm-hmm. better? I guess you could say. He, I don't know. Does the actor consider himself white? Did we ever determine that? No. Um, I mean, he's he is he's he certainly looks white. Uh, but he's yeah, exactly. Descent, so yeah. I can say as I'm a Mexican, yeah. but I I'm white passing is what they would say. Um, and he's Cuban, and he's very much white passing. So uh, when you see him on screen, it's uh, you feel like it's a black and a white guy. So. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, his character, I think, um, as the movie went on, was my favorite. I think Miles, yeah, Miles, uh, he's not, a, he's not. I wouldn't say he's a big thinker, but he's very passionate and very loyal, yeah. and um, well, yeah, uh, he's always hustling. So I, I can appreciate that. <laughs> that Miles is, or yeah, yeah, yeah. So the one, the one time, the one rap sequence thing that I kind of liked was when he was selling the, the hair, boat. the hair stuff. No, oh, wasn't a fan of the. Was, yeah, I was gonna say the hair scene was. That could be easily cut and would not affect the story. Yeah, but yeah, the cut boat that one. scene out. Yeah, so there's these guys are movers, and one yeah. of the one of their jobs is to uh, move out a house that's being flipped by a, an interloper or someone yeah. gentrifier. And uh, they one of the things they get is a boat. Like they, the the lady's like, you can have whatever's in the backyard. 
so um, he he has this big scene where he's selling the boat on on the uh, off the curb basically, and that whole se- the whole sequence is wrapped, and it's not bad. It's not bad. Yeah. It's probably the, my favorite of the wrapping sequences, yeah. well, especially when he's interacting with the other individual that he's starting to it's negotiate with. It's really actually, funny. It's clever. Yeah, it's pretty funny. Yeah, it's really clever and it's funny, and I think that speaks to the heart of uh, what this movie is. It's a comedy. It's a buddy buddy comedy, um, but there are some heavy themes as well. So, um, mm-hmm. getting back to the whole pro- yeah. probation parole thing. Yes. Um, on on that like the last night of his probation, uh, Colin is driving home, driving the the moving truck home by himself, and he comes across a shooting, an officer involved shooting, um, where a cop shoots this fleeing guy in the back. He's, he just kills him in cold blood, basically. Um, and so that kind of haunts Colin for the entire movie. He, yeah. He's always wondering when when they're going to come after him because the, the officer saw him. He looked him right in the eye, yep. and so he he knew. Um, that he was a witness and yeah. it was a, it was a bad shoot. Um, so that's kind of like lingering over the, the entire movie. And um, yeah, so that's like the heavier theme in the movie, but, but there's all, there's all sorts of stuff at play here. There's like, you know, uh, interracial marriage, um, yes. just, just uh, it's the way that the, the community comes together, even like what I, I really appreciated was uh, the, the flashback sequence when you find out what sent Colin to prison. Yes. That was really well done. Oh yeah, and um, I appreciated that immensely. The way that it was narrated by this this customer that and comes the in the uh, they dropped that yeah. flashback. You know, because you go a good portion of the movie without knowing what he did. Um, yeah, exactly. And then when you get he runs into someone who was who starts recalling the scene, and, and this flashback begins, and it, it was very well done. Man. Yeah, the editing is really really tight, um, and uh, the movie flows. It, it has. It's, uh, I think it's only about like a 90 minutes long. Yeah, so it yes, has a brisk pace. pace. Yes. Um, and overall, I think it was just really enjoyable. And I recommend it to anyone that, um, that hasn't seen it yet. So yeah, check it out. Yes. I think it's really worth it. I, I, yeah, I really, really enjoyed this movie. It's the most, like I hesitate to at all identify as someone who like, you know, knows Oakland, culture or can say this movie is so Oakland, but like I've certainly spent enough time in the city and around there. And it's an important enough city to me that like, this is the first one I've ever felt. That's really feels like it captured a ca- like Oakland is a character in the story. Um, and I think I just, I've never seen that happen before. I mean, it's a hard thing to do. Yeah. They really tried. They really attempted to do yeah. it and they succeeded. I absolutely. Um, I, uh, I liked, the, I liked the element of the, how many days left on probation, uh, just because it, there, it adds a sense of urgency and you feel this, you're, you're bracing for, uh, something terrible to happen to to uh, the main character Colin that would cause his probation to either be extended or or worse go back to prison, and uh, and so there's that that's kind of looming, the the whole element of him seeing the 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 officer involved shooting, the uh, um, the relationship he has with his friend uh, Raphael mm-hmm. who again is you know white in the Oakland community but is born and raised in Oakland and you know he's talks very much is about how you know this is his community uh, he's part of this community and it's as much as anyone else uh, and exactly that, that plays a huge moment in one of a climactic scene where he mm-hmm. interacts with someone at a party that's being held, uh, kind of being hosted by this tech bro uh, in, yep. this, in this image here which you know it's I will I, I gotta say it's for me from my perspective watching this it's fascinating because I have all these mixed feelings and and emotions because you have this guy that's clearly a tech bro now i am uh you know of a white male that works in tech in the bay area for a bay area based company uh i uh 
it, I see these things. I mean, this is a caricature, this character, uh, but not really. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I mean, like I, I know that there are people like this. Um, and thankfully, not the people I work with. But I see right. this guy in this particular image. He's pointing at his, um, um, at his, uh, um, the neck tattoo, the nest. Sorry, no, 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 no. Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> no, but right over his shoulder, he's got a nest thermostat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Which uh, <laughs> I have a nest thermostat. I mean, he's pointing at mm-hmm. his California tattoo on his neck, which is my favorite. Yeah, yeah. Um, but just like looking at that, I'm like, oh gosh, am I just? A, I'm just like maybe a few layers removed away from being that guy. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not that different, certainly not the personality of this guy, but, um, would I like to be able to, you know, buy a place in Oakland and have this nice, like, yeah, sure. You know, but like, you know, you're, I'm watching a movie that's, that's illustrating the, uh, the downside of gentrification and for certainly for the people that are from that community and raised there and the negative effects it has on them. And, and it's just fascinating having, at least for me, from my perspective of working in tech in the Bay area, it's and uh, having been raised in the general Northern California area, it's, it's uh, uh, I'm, I'm conflicted, uh, but I think that this movie was uh, very persuasive in exploring parts of this argument that um, I, I don't think I had explored uh, before and was in a lot of ways convincing. But yeah, it uh, the scene at the tech bros party and everything that happens there is uh, if if in the wrong hands, that could have been a disastrous sequence. But it was it was done, I think, just right because the uh, the dynamic of the altercation, basically, a, you know, another character at the party who who's also black uh, starts giving problems to the Raphael Casal character who is white uh, because he mistakes him for being one of these tech bros who is acting like he's from Oakland. And he starts giving him a hard time about it, which uh, incites a, just a, a conflict that uh, felt like uh it felt very real i think the emotion of that scene felt really they built up to this where like you understood uh, the actions that were taken even if it was a bad response if that makes sense i don't know if yeah I- no it's a complicated dynamic because um i mean miles is he's down like he's he feels like he's in essence like an honor- honorary black guy uh, basically yeah, yeah from all you know because that's who he grew up around so he feels like this is his hood these are his people and when he comes across someone that's you know not from his hood that doesn't know him he thinks this guy's just the poser basically and someone who's fronting and you can understand um, why he would think that he look he would appear that way sure it, it makes sense and this is why it's a complicated scene and um and the, the whole resolution is also complicated so i think uh it's another one of those themes it's 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 a hard theme to tackle and and I'm glad that they did because uh, the way that it plays out is really interesting. So, so I guess in in closing here, do you feel like there is a a message that this movie gives? Is there, is there any answers that it provides? I mean, it it certainly does a a good job of uh, showcasing the problems, but is there any hope? (laughs) Like, I mean, hope, I don't know, man. I think, well, like all good art, um, it never gives you answers. No, it Basically it's, it, it, it poses more questions. And I think that's, that's the mark of a good piece of art. And I think that's what this movie is. And it does pose more, more questions. It, it asks you to look inside yourself it does. and, and ask questions that you'd never asked yourself before. Um, and I think that's ex- exactly what this thing pulls off. So, um, does it give you any answers? No, I don't think so. But um, hopefully it gives you pause and it gives you an opportunity to um, look inward and maybe look for an answer 
that you wouldn't immediately have um, when it comes to something as complicated as gentrification or mm-hmm. or um, just uh, communities that are at risk or, you know, um, working class people that uh, are the, the challenges they face when they when they the place that they grew up in is now considered cool. <laughs> basically. So that's, I mean, that's the crime that they committed is they grew up in an area that is now considered cool. So because of that, um, they're never going to own a home there and um, their family is at risk of being kicked out essentially. Yep. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it, it's interesting. There is, there's a, a, a quick scene with uh, the main character, Colin, his, his mother, who still lives in the home in Oakland where she's at. And she, she's like, why would I want like a, you know, I'm not going to move out of my neighborhood now. It's, you know, they finally got good restaurants and good. And she likes, she hits on a few like benefits of yeah. gentrification, which is, you know, of course, you know, which is interesting. She's just like, oh, I'm finally getting good food and good, good, you know, getting good, like all these benefits that come with money coming into an area, which is, I thought mm-hmm. was fascinating to hear from her character and the way she talks about it. And it like, oh yeah, of course, like that's how anyone would think, you know, like it's uh, in a lot of ways to her in her eyes, it was like, oh, there's things that are better. You know, and right, of course. And yeah, then that's the thing. So as a homeowner, you do have the upside of that because yeah. now you have increased home value and you have more amenities and you have more convenience and you have businesses that are taking risk and putting in investments in your community. And now people want to live there. So again, now it's cool. So yeah, um, challenging questions. And I think this movie does a really good job about navigating yeah. all those uh, troubled waters. So we... I. Clearly, I think we highly recommend this film. It would have, for us, it was among the best films of the year, uh, somewhere in the top 10 or five. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not streaming anywhere yet because it just came out on video, but it is on iTunes for rent and purchase, I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure it'll be on Netflix soon. It feels like a movie that um, yeah. is destined for Netflix. But it's so. worth a watch. It's 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 both funny, but very thought, thought-provoking. I think it does a great job handling the themes. It's not a total downer of a film. And no. it would be very easy to make a movie that's a total downer with this subject matter. But it is it's a, it is kind of a good hang, a fun watch, uh, while also getting something truly substantive. So check it out. So, All right, Aaron. Anything else? No, that'll do it. Um, I will just say that movie inspired me to make a movie about my hometown, which is, is not going to be gentrified anytime soon. It's the, uh, <laughs> is that Paramount? If you, I, it's the city of Paramount, and um, I go back to visit my grandparents that still live there every once in a while, and it's just like, mm, I don't know. <laughs> no one's putting any money into this community. Although it is a lot different than when I grew up. Uh, literally, when I grew up in the 90s there, it was um, the highest or one of the highest um, violent crime in, in uh, spots in the entire Southern California. Wow. So uh, per capita, it was, it was pretty bad. Um, it's not like that really anymore, but um, it's still not. I wouldn't call it a nice place to live. Yeah. Well, it's just a matter of time. Maybe. Maybe. Who knows? You never know. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Well, thanks, man. Thanks for joining me. For, uh, this was the, the second night of a back-to-back, like, uh, like they say in the NBA. So we're probably exhausted. Um, <laughs> we did a pod last night and one tonight. Um, but, yeah, I, uh, we'll be back. We, next week was Shannon's Sundance report, which I can't wait. She's been, she's been texting uh, about some of the celebrities she's talked to and interacted with, and I don't want to steal her thunder, so I'll let her tell those stories. But there's some pretty big names that she has. Uh, uh, I heard with. she's going to bring on a special guest um, with the initials RR mm. is all she would tell us. <laughs> so. Oh, okay. 
I, I thought for a second there you were you were going in a direction of an R. Kelly joke. Uh, oh no, <laughs> <laughs> he's he's been canceled. He's no longer a celebrity. Yeah, he's canceled. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, look look forward to that next. She's week. too old for him. He <laughs> <laughs> Uh, All right. Well, we'll be back with that. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Aaron. Thank you for listening to the Brave Little Podcast. Hold on to your butts.